You can listen to The Front on your smart speaker every morning. To hear the latest episode, just say, play the news from The Australian. From The Australian, here's what's on The Front. I'm Kristen Amiot. It's Wednesday, June 14. The judge in the carnal knowledge trial of Christopher Michael Dawson has retired to consider her verdict. In today's episode, the Crown Prosecutor and Defence Barrister make their closing arguments. Mr Dawson, can you hear? That was the question of Judge Sarah Huggett to Christopher Michael Dawson, who dialled into the final hearing of his trial for carnal knowledge from Sydney's Long Bay Prison yesterday. He responded, yes, Your Honour, and gave a thumbs up. Then the microphone was muted. It was one of the only times we've heard Dawson's voice since he entered a not guilty plea on May 30. That's because he declined to give evidence in his own defence. Dawson is charged with one count of carnal knowledge of a girl between the ages of 10 and 17 years. The trial has played out over nine days at Sydney's Downing Centre District Court. And yesterday, Crown Prosecutor Emma Blizzard and Defence Barrister Claire Wosley made their closing submissions. And AB was sitting on the desk. And Chris Dawson was standing between her legs. And then he said was the effect of, stay away from her, don't go near her. Very pleasant personality, a pleasure to teach. He thought it was very clever to be able to put that on a public document. He thought it was very cunning. Dawson rested his head on his hands as the Crown Prosecutor Emma Blizzard rattled off the evidence of witnesses who knew the former schoolteacher and his accuser, who we can only identify as AB for legal reasons, in 1980. We've used voice actors to bring you their words from court, as well as those of Emma Blizzard. The prosecutor said that AB's evidence, as well as words written by Dawson himself, was powerfully supported by what was heard and seen by others. She's the most important witness in the trial. The Crown submits that AB was both honest and reliable in the evidence that she gave. Blizzard then moved to the timeline on which this trial hinges. In meticulous detail, she laid out what the Crown says happened and when. AB alleges sexual activity first occurred before December 12 in 1980, when Chris Dawson was her teacher. According to the law of the day, it was illegal for a teacher to engage in sexual activity with a student who was aged below 17 years. Dawson doesn't deny that any sexual activity took place. He later married AB and fathered a daughter with her. But he says that sexual activity happened for the first time after AB turned 17. Blizzard canvassed the difficulties AB faced in her home life in 1979 and 1980 and how Dawson provided a sounding board for her during that time. She recounted how AB came to be employed as a babysitter for the Dawson family. And then she turned to perhaps the largest portion of AB's evidence, the first time Dawson kissed AB. This is important because it's difficult to pin down exactly when it happened. What matters, though, according to the Crown, is that AB had cause to be in Dawson's car frequently during the 1980 school year, including for driving lessons, when AB alleges the first kiss occurred. The Crown prosecutor didn't shy away from the fact that some parts of AB's evidence, particularly around the first kiss, has been inconsistent in the 43 years since the alleged sexual activity first occurred. She also didn't ask Judge Sarah Huggett to ignore it. Rather, she asked the judge to consider it in the context of all that powerfully supportive evidence presented over the course of the trial. The Crown submits that uncertainty and even conflicting accounts on peripheral issues are a common feature of trials, 
and that the human mind does not remember every detail perfectly, particularly so when the details themselves are not memorable. What Blizzard means is that 1980 was a significant year for AB because of the challenges she faced at home, not because she was granted a learner's permit on this date or that. And those challenges orient the first kiss and the alleged sexual activity that occurred shortly after in the 1980 school year for the complainant. The prosecutor then turned briefly to the alleged sexual activity itself, which AB says occurred at the home of Dawson's parents in Maroubra before December 12 of 1980. That date is significant because it was the last day of the 1980 school year, and if the alleged sexual activity occurred after that, no crime was committed because Dawson was no longer AB's teacher. Dawson shook his head ever so slightly as Blizzard recounted the fear that AB says she felt in that moment. But his most energetic response to the Crown's closing came when Emma Blizzard raised Dawson's repeated proposals of marriage to AB. Indeed, it was the most animated we'd seen him over the course of the entire nine-day trial. The prosecutor rounded out the Crown's case by demonstrating the ways in which witness accounts supported AB's version of events. How friends said AB began to disappear from social activities on Friday nights and during school hours. How students who left Cromer High before 1981 saw Dawson and AB sharing intimate closeness on school grounds. How Dawson allegedly threatened one of AB's peers when he was working with her at a supermarket in 1980. How cards and notes sent to a 16-year-old AB by Dawson brought his state of mind into sharp relief. Your Honour, the Crown submits that when Your Honour considers, as a whole, the evidence of AB, as well as the other evidence called in the Crown case, that Your Honour would find the accused guilty of the charge on the indictment. In the final day of Mr Dawson's trial yesterday, Emma Blizzard, the Crown stood and gave one of the most arresting openings to a final argument that I think I've heard in a court. It was like the beginning of a novel, like a a movie. Matthew Condon is a senior reporter with The Australian. And then, of course, she went on to outline in excruciating and logical detail the timeline, which is so important in this trial. The timeline is everything. It is the spine of this case Blizzard's enunciation of the timeline was excruciatingly detailed. I mean that in a good way. It was logical. It was clear. The thing to note here, too, is that Emma Blizzard, through the trial, had a habit of speaking really rapidly. In this instance, she came back a couple of gears and presented a very sensible and logical closing argument, I felt, for the Crown. It was very strong. The Crown case in the carnal knowledge trial of Christopher Michael Dawson has officially rested. In yesterday's final hearing, the defence also made its closing submissions to Judge Sarah Huggett. We'll have more on that after this short break. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts. (laughs) 
public defender Claire Wosley took a notably more emotive approach to her closing argument in the carnal knowledge trial of Christopher Michael Dawson. It was her first time defending the convicted murderer who was found guilty of the murder of his first wife, Lynn, in the New South Wales Supreme Court last year. Wosley opened by acknowledging the court's sympathy for the distress AB had displayed during her time in the witness box, but reminded Judge Sarah Huggard that her role is not to be sympathetic to AB or suspicious of Dawson. Rather, Wosley said it's to find beyond a reasonable doubt that the alleged sexual activity occurred for the first time when AB was 16 and a student in Dawson's class. That burden of proof is high. Wosley said it isn't enough for Judge Huggett to find that sexual activity occurred during 1980 or even that it occurred while AB was 16, but rather that it occurred specifically when AB was a student in Dawson's Year 11 sports coaching class. And the defence barrister didn't skirt the uncomfortable reality at the heart of this case. We've used a voice actor to bring you some of her words from court. It is not submitted on behalf of the accused that his sexual relationship with the complainant while she was at school was an appropriate one, just that it did not commence while she was in his class. Wosley reiterated a point made during her opening argument that Dawson doesn't have to prove his innocence of this charge, indeed that he doesn't have to prove anything. She also noted that Dawson's choice to exercise his right to silence shouldn't be taken as an admission of any wrongdoing. Wosley said the inconsistencies in AB's accounts of the first time Dawson kissed her raised questions about her reliability as a witness, and even put it to the judge that AB had fabricated certain parts of that evidence to detract from those inconsistencies. The complainant first suggests that it is quite possible that she was having driving lessons before she'd had her licence. It's submitted that that is something that complainant made up in the face of the evidence to which she was taken and the previous statements to which she was taken that provided this consistent account and her evidence in this trial about driving lessons not commencing until she had her learner's permit. It's submitted that the complainant had a motive to lie on this issue because of the manner in which the evidence unfolded and her realisation crystallised about the inconsistency between the things she was saying. The public defender raised questions around the reliability of other witnesses too. She said evidence given by AB's school contemporaries at trial was inconsistent with what they told police in earlier statements that what one former student called an intimate closeness had previously been described as a close conversation, that another who left Cromer High before 1981 had been known to mix up her dates and so her account wasn't credible, that it's unlikely AB told any of her school friends about her alleged involvement with Dawson in 1980 because she was, by her own admission, secretive about it, and that Dawson's alleged threat against the Coles trolley boy was evidence that he was protecting AB from the boy's constant advances by acting on what she'd told him during counselling sessions. Turning to some of the most confronting evidence presented at the trial, Claire Wosley contended that AB didn't attend the fitness classes led by Chris and Paul Dawson at Linfield Demonstration School in 1980. That's when the brothers are alleged to have swum naked in a pool with AB and CD, another Dawson family babysitter. Wosley said that's because CD couldn't, by her own admission, place those events in a reliable chronology. It's submitted that the complainant had a motive to lie on this issue because of the manner in which the evidence unfolded and her realisation crystallised about the inconsistency between the things she was saying. The defence barrister pointed to the evidence of Lee Maloney, who was, at the time, a young mother who said she attended the classes in 1981 and saw AB and CD there. 
Indeed, Wosley said she doubted AB attended the fitness classes with Dawson at all before 1981. More than anything, the defence's case boiled down to the disadvantages that come with the passage of time. In this case, more than four decades since the first sexual activity is alleged to have occurred. Wosley argued that the fact that AB had taken so long to make a complaint raised questions about her credibility and gave her time to alter parts of her testimony. It gave witnesses time to forget details and dates, or even to pass away. And that the release of the teacher's pet podcast, which is published by The Australian, could have prejudiced statements given to police during investigations carried out as part of Strike Force Southwood. She said the loss of important records during that time, like the date AB's learner's permit was granted or who was enrolled in Chris Dawson's class and when, put her client at a significant forensic disadvantage. On that point, Crown Prosecutor Emma Blizzard said it's entirely speculative that a complaint made earlier would have led to a different outcome. Here's how Claire Wosley wrapped up her closing argument. If your honour thinks Mr Dawson is probably guilty, but there are problems with the Crown case that raise a reasonable doubt, then you should find Mr Dawson not guilty. It's submitted that the matters that I've raised would cause your honour to have a reasonable doubt and that the only proper verdict is not guilty. And here's Matthew Condon again. She began with a plea to the judge because this is judge alone. She appealed for fairness. She appealed for the presumption of innocence. And then she drifted into uh, what I thought would dominate her closing argument with dread, I have to admit, and that was dismantling specifically AB's evidence piece by piece, cog by cog. And I thought, here we go, we're going to bounce back and forward to innumerable transcripts. We're going to be riffling through folders. We're going to be citing transcript numbers, page numbers, paragraph numbers, and that this would be a stupefying experience. And in fact, to her credit, I must admit, Wosley grew in stature as her closing argument proceeded. Very different to Blizzard, but it it ended up having its own striking power, I felt. To her credit, in the end, proved to be very formidable opponents. The impact, I felt, the resonance of Wosley's closing arguments was that she did indeed punch some holes into the Crown's timeline. She did cast, I felt, some reasonable doubt. And it was interesting to note Christopher Dawson's demeanour on the audiovisual screens in that court during Blizzard and Wosley's closing addresses. Through Blizzard, he had that demeanour of of stupefied bemusement, boredom, chin on hand, resting his head into his right palm. When his defence counsel rose, he was alert and uh, the demeanour was completely the opposite to the first half of yesterday. Matthew Condon is a senior reporter with The Australian. Judge Sarah Huggett will return to deliver her verdict in the carnal knowledge trial of Christopher Michael Dawson on June 28. Subscribers to The Australian can read our in-depth coverage of the closing arguments right now at theaustralian.com.au. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. 
Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.